I was asked to put together some thoughts about parenting difficult children. And the first thing that I want to say is that what we're talking about is what we hope is the proper chinuch approach for what we refer to as not so much kids at risk, but kids in pain. Well, I call them a, a kip or a kipster. Um, this is not necessarily for regular kids, but if you've been doing chinuch on your children and you notice that what you're doing is not really, doesn't seem to be working, so maybe what we're going to discuss now in the future will apply to your children. Of course, every time it's different, every situation is different, but maybe we can find some approaches about being mechanech, kids who are off the derech, and kids who are rebellious, rebelling, and just with the regular chinuch approach is not working. We're, we're told to be like Hashem, so let's go ahead and look at the Torah and try to find the Torah approach when it comes to Chinuch. Obviously, whoever's here, whoever's listening to this, is dealing with a very painful situation. Lech Lecha, the Torah says that Hashem blessed Avram and said you will be buried at a good old age. What does a good old age mean? Rashi says that Hashem told Avram that Yishmael will repent in his lifetime. That's pretty good. And that Esav will not embark on his evil ways until after Avram is Nifter. And Rashi continues, for this reason Avram died five years earlier. This means that Avram got a gift from Hashem, his blessing, was that he was Nifter five years earlier, so as not to see his grandchild go off the derech and become Esau. Obviously, parents who are watching their children go off the derech, not be successful, and the lives are being ruined, and the dreams are being destroyed. This is obviously more painful, more painful than death. And I'm not negating that, I'm not pushing that on the side. I'm not saying that what we're going to talk about tonight is easy. Of course, this is a, a tremendous, tremendous Nisai and a tremendous challenge. But we're going to try to see what works and what really doesn't work when dealing with this situation. Rick Lavoie tells a story that he was traveling and the man next to him saw that he's, he's writing some notes and they started talking and uh, he asked Rick, how many kids do you have? So Rick said, you know, I have four kids. The guy standing next, sitting next to him kind of like looked out and, you know, looking at nowhere and he said, man, I, I wish I had four kids. So he asked him, you don't have any kids? He says, yeah, I have eight. So sometimes we may feel like we wish that we didn't really have as many kids as we have. We know and we believe that as much as this is painful, we believe that Hashem is sending us opportunities. Hashem is sending us Nisiyarinais. And life is full of difficult challenges. We accept that each child is a bracha. Sometimes we see parents that have children who are Down syndrome or mentally retarded and all different kinds of problems. And the Torah approach is to accept, accept the problems and difficulties that we encounter in our lives with tremendous emunah and bitachin, that somehow, for some reason, this is the way that it needs to be. Very often, parents who do suffer through this will emerge and they will say that they became stronger, their emunah became stronger, their bitachin became stronger, their personalities became refined. A lot of the stuff that they were doing uh, in parenting which was garbage and never should have been there, a lot of control and power that they 
that they, the way they acted to their spouses and their children, which never should have been there, was removed because they had a child who really, really you know, stood up to them, stood up to them and made them think and re- reevaluate this. They couldn't go home and just blow a gasket and yell and scream and be difficult because the kid would pull a knife on them. I once had a kid who he pulled uh, two knives, butcher knives, on his parents. And I asked them, I just said, I, I don't understand. I mean, why would you need two? Why, why wasn't one enough? And he said, oh, well, one for each. And Baruch Hashem, his brother, intercepted him and got the knives out. And uh, he went on, Baruch Hashem, to, to straightening out his life. So there's a lot of pain, a lot of agony over here. All around, and frustration. But a lot of times parents do emerge and say, you know, I used to have a big ego and I learned to control it. I didn't really have emuna. I didn't know how to handle this difficulty and other difficulties, the simcha. And there is growth for parents to have as well. Let's hope that the situation will improve and everyone will learn whatever it is that they needed to learn out of it, out of the situation as quick as possible, and that we should all have nachas from our children. The first thing we have to know is we're talking about a kip, kid in pain. We have to understand the kip. The aside is... No person would ever choose to be bad if they felt they could be good. Nobody wants to be bad. The reason why people choose to be bad and then to glorify it is because they can't make it being good. They can't do it. They can't get those marks. They can't behave the way that they need to behave. They just naturally can't study and listen and daven and all of these things, concentrate so therefore, they, they, they don't choose, not shot, they choose to be bad. Because nobody would choose to be bad if they could be good. No successful, happy kid ever chose to become rebellious. I never met a kid who was the top boy, he was getting hundreds, his parents were wonderful to him, he was just so happy, he was not molested, never encountered any trauma in his life, he was just the happiest kid in the world, successful, had friends, had social skills, and he just decided, you know what? Goodbye, I'm going off the deep end. It's not for me. This Yiddishkeit business is not for me. I'm going to rebel. I'm going to throw everything away. All my future, my, shid, my shidduch that I would have had, shidduch in prospects, my whole life I'm going to throw it out the window. Nobody ever did that. So when we find a kid who is rebellious, the more rebellious they are, we have to understand that this child is trapped. This child realizes and thinks anyway that he cannot make it. He can't be good. He can't be successful in Yiddishkeit. And most of all, really most of the time, when you find a really rebellious child, you're finding trauma. Many, many of these kids go through something traumatic. And if we don't treat them differently, we expect them to pull the load like everybody else. It's like going over to every kid in the, in, in the house and say, okay, we're moving up to the country, everyone grab a box, and you have a child that has two broken elbows. And you don't recognize that. And he, he can't lift the box. But you expect him to be like everybody else. If you don't recognize that there's trauma, and maybe this kid does not have to hold that box like everybody else, if he really can't. And maybe the fact that he can't, it's not because he's lazy. Not because he's bad. Not because he's trying to take the easy way out by being a flunky, and being a rebel, and being uh, you know, what they turn into. Maybe that's not it. Maybe they really just can't do it. Rick Lavoie says that a child will always look to be bad rather than to look stupid. He said a lot of times the teacher will ask the kid, 
So what's this and this and this thing that we learned yesterday? And all of a sudden the kid will go and hit somebody else or throw something. So that way he gets thrown out of class. At least if he gets thrown out of class, he's a somebody. He stood up to the teacher. He's a troublemaker. He's a bad boy. He's a something. Rather than sitting there and saying, I don't know. I'm stupid. I don't remember what we learned yesterday. A lot of times kids will choose to look rebellious and, and, and stand up to you and be a somebody. Even to be a jerk instead of looking dumb. And this goes for adults as well. How many people do we see that when they, when they don't know something or they're in a situation that they can't deal with, instead of saying, you know, I can't deal with the situation, I don't know, or I was wrong, instead, they'll act like a jerk. And they'll become tough, and they'll become miserable people. Why? Because that's the nature of human people. That you'll never, most people anyway, especially troubled people, they'll never choose to look stupid if they can look rebellious, they can look bad. So when we see a rebel, we know that he's choosing this, not because he likes this, but because he feels trapped. Trapped, like a squirrel in a corner, a cat in a corner. You trap them, they're going to scratch you. They're going to jump out at you. They're going to bite you. And realize this, and have Rachmanus on the child, that he doesn't think he could be successful in your world, in his world. How miserable he is inside. And understand that you are, you're uncovering, you're encountering trauma. Let me give you an example. Imagine, God forbid, your child is shot in the chest and he's lying in the middle of the street in a pool of blood. You call Hatzalah. What do you do while you're waiting with your child until Hatzalah comes? You hold him. You can't do anything to make him feel better. You say, I love you. I love you. Don't worry. You're going to make it. You're going to be fine. That's what you do when you recognize that the child is in pain. You would never say... How could you be wearing jeans? Uh, well, this is a haircut that you got? These are things that would never come, never come out of your mouth when the child is shot and is in pain. And Shimon Russell, who is really the foremost, he's, he's really in this area, somebody that we all look up to, and he, he makes so much sense. And he explains that what's going on with these children is they have a hole in their heart that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the only thing we can do as parents, as mentors, as mechanchim, as friends, as having anybody who's going to have a shaykh, a positive influence on their life, is understand that the more that we make this hole in their heart bigger, we put salt on the wound, we make them feel less about themselves, we lower their self-esteem, that's making them worse, and they feel more pain, and they feel that they have to rebel even more, as we're going to explain throughout this whole time that we're going to spend together. The only thing we can do is close that hole in the heart. How? We're going to discuss that as well. Understanding a kip. The best way that I could understand these children is imagine if your car breaks down, it's cold, it's rainy, the battery's dead. Finally, you get somebody to pull over to give you a boost and you go outside, it's cold and it's rainy, and you attach the cables to your battery and to the other side. Red goes to red, black goes to black. On the other side, red goes to red, black goes to black. And it's not going. You tell him, give gas. He's giving gas. It's not going. You're cold. You're getting wet. And you keep trying. And it's just, it's not working. 15 minutes goes by, 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by. You're so frustrated. It's freezing. Your family's in the car, in a, in a cold, freezing car. Everybody's crying. Everybody's upset. Everybody's nervous. Everybody's cold. 
finally, the last ditch effort, you say, you know what, let me try to just switch around the cables. You put black on the red and red on the black, and all of a sudden, bzz, 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 it starts. And you realize that somehow the, the, the cable was wired backwards. And I really find that when a kid is in a matziv, that you're giving him good advice, and he just doesn't get it. You're telling him good, wise, parental chinuch, and it's just not working, and many times having the opposite effect. And we're going to try to understand their mindset, to understand even why that happens. But many times, at the end of the day, these kids are wired backwards. And we have to do the opposite that you would do for your other children. Other children can come in and say, I want to watch a DVD, and you're going to say, Ugh, feh, tuma. But for this kid, you may have to say, you know what, I'm going to buy you a DVD. Because they're wired backwards. And if you're going to heal that hole, hole in the heart, and we're going to explain how, but that's maybe what they need. And even anything, telling them how to take out the garbage. If you keep on telling them a certain way and it's not working, they may be wired backwards, like the car battery that's wired backwards. And this is good old reverse psychology that many times we need with these kids to be a little bit smarter, not to just throw out the parenting lines, not to just toss out whatever comes easy to us, but to dig deeper and to really use psychology, reverse psychology, to know what to say that will work. Keep a little pad on you. Every time you say something and it doesn't work, write it down. Say, you know what, this just doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, why say it? In fact, when it doesn't work, it usually creates a rift between you, and it usually has damaging effects, creates fights, creates a lot of agmas nefesh, animosity, but certainly it doesn't work. Why do it? When you find something does work, ah, write it down. This is the way to get through to my spouse, to my children, to whoever. This is, this is the way that works. The first thing we have to really understand, and this is very, very important, because we constantly, in dealing with these kids, we constantly run into the fact that we're from, and we're, there's always a struggle here over Yiddishkeit. We, what do we do? Besides for their behavior, and, but so many of our arguments and our fights, and most of our, a lot of our ag- agmas nefesh, is coming because of the fact that they're not from. And, and a lot of us gave up a lot, and our ancestors, Dairis, gave up a lot to be from. And these kids, Chal Shabbos, eating treif, not being tzniyistik, etc., etc. So besides for the drug, drugs issues and social issues and schooling, we have, as from Yidin, we have a legacy that, that's ripping, getting ripped apart. And that makes it very difficult. What we have to know, or what we have to believe is that there is something called chayle nefesh. Just like there's a sick person who's physically sick, you could be Mechal Shabbos for them, and they could be Mechal Shabbos. On fast, they could take medicine, many times. So too, somebody who's a chayle nefesh is potter for mitzvahs, especially when those mitzvahs are making them sick. For example, I know a boy that will not put on tefillin. And it came out that he was molested by, the, by somebody who taught him his bar mitzvah stuff, his bar mitzvah pshetel and his bar mitzvah laning. And that whole idea of tefillin reminded him of that era of his life. And for him, putting on tefillin was 
was for us as if you would take the tefillin instead of wrapping it around your arm, you would wrap it around your neck. It was choking him. That person who has that reaction, who had that past trauma, is potter. I'm not a paisik. I, I, I feel that paiskim are saying this, and I'm repeating things that I've heard from Rabbanim. But I, even if I'm wrong, let's just, a lot of people say, oh, really, really? Understand the point of what we're saying. The pain, of a person has a pain from mitzvah, right? If, you, if, if you're in pain sitting in the sukkah, you potter from the sukkah. There's a concept of chayli nefesh. How do you know if your child is chayli nefesh? You have to ask a rav, a great rav. But it seems like pretty much everyone's understanding that these kids, because they don't want to be bad and they're pushed to be bad, because most of them, really large percentages, were sexually abused, and because they have a lot of trauma in their lives. And as I, th- I think by the end of this discussion that we're going to have, you're going to really understand that really, come out all of them, really, really come out all of them, are really chali nefesh, chali nefesh. And many Rabbanim are saying that, that they're part of mitzvahs. What do you gain? Because I had a friend of mine that had a son who was off the derech. And it just, besides for everything else, he said, I can't tolerate that he's not keeping Shabbos and that he's not putting on tefillah. And he called a huge tzaddik in Eretz Yisrael. And the tzaddik told him right away, Potur. And my friend said, no, but you don't understand, he's not putting on tefillah, Potur. And he said, when he realized that, that it's not just a rebel disgusting kid who's spitting at, at Hashem and who's spitting at his father. If he's potter, that means halachically he's potter. There's something deeper going on over here. And that's when he began to treat his son differently. He began to realize that if maybe he's potter, maybe he's a chayla. I have to deal with him differently. So for two reasons it helps to understand this. First of all, we, we, we lose the hatred to them. Not the real hatred, but the, the, the disgust. Because we realize that they're really sick and they're really potter. And also, we take it off the table. During this time of your child's life, if they're putter, it means right now, don't worry about their spirituality. Right now, don't worry, they're going to burn Gehenim forever because of this Shabbos. Because they're not, because they're putter. So it helps for both ways. How to deal with them, and also how to deal internally, seeing your child that is going to do such an Averi, is going to burn forever. It's not true. Don't worry about it. Emir Hashem, they're going to come back, they're going to do tshuva. A lot of these kids come back. Most of these kids come back. Most of them are extremely spiritual. I've seen many, many of them that end up being frumer than their parents. And I've seen them do tainas dibur's and all kinds of things to make up for the past. They look back at these terrible years of their lives, confusing years, and they realize they were drunk. And they ask Hashem to forgive them and they live the rest of their lives making up for it many, many, many times. But we want to be part of the side that's going to help them become better. We don't want to be part of the side that is pushing them away. We don't want to be part of the problem. We don't want to be or do or say anything that on our conscience, as difficult as it is, we have more Averis on our head. That we caused our son to get so angry that he went ahead and he broke Shabbos because he was angry at something that we said. We can't afford that. We have to decide that we're going to be on the side that is going to cure them. Or at least, until they get cured, that we're going to hold them, hold them like you're waiting for that Atzala ambulance, and say, I love you, Shefala. I know you don't mean this. I know you're great. You're going to be great. Things are going to be good. I love you. I hold of you. And this is what we're going to learn now from the Torah. Hashem showed us how to act with rebellious children over and over and over again. And now let's start to learn. Adam and Chava 
the very first people in the world were actually, were actually, the very first kids at risk. Kids in pain. Hashem says, listen, you can do anything in the world you want. You have everything. Everything, the whole world is just for you. And they had Olam Haba, Gan Eden. Perfect. Just don't do one thing. Of course, we all know, the Eitz and the Eitz Adas, the consequences were incredible, were terrible, were horrible. And now all of a sudden, they're thrown out of home. They have to... All the tsars that we have coming from the consequences of this terrible chet. And then the Torah says, an amazing pasuk, And God made for them leather garments, and He dressed them. Now let's understand what was going on over here. They realize that they're naked, and they need clothing. Now if you don't know anything about the world, and you don't know any, anything about clothing, you don't know where to start. So it says that they went, and they took fig leaves, and they started to make clothing out of fig leaves. Now, can you imagine what this looked like? They start putting together fig leaves, and then after a few days the leaves, they get dry, they get crumbled. Fig leaves, when they, whenever they, when he went to work, Every time you move, the leaf, it breaks. I mean, it's, 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 very not, it's not durable. It's not really a great way to make clothing. Hashem, Kabiyochel, so to speak, is looking down at them from Shemayim. He's laughing at them. Look at these idiots trying to make clothing out of fig leaves. <laughs> so he wants to help them out. Very nice. He could have said, you know, guys, see that cow over there? Think about the skin. Think about leather. Think about cotton. Give them a hint. Drop down a little, uh, a little uh, manual to teach you how to, how to build, how to, make, how to make clothing. But what does Hashem do? Hashem goes ahead, Vayas Hashem lohem kosnas ur. He made for them leather garments, not stam garbage. It says that they were begodim nechbodim umu'ulim, top quality, ferragamo, the best Italian leather. And he made himself, Hashem made for them, didn't tell them, go make. You bums that you, well, look what you did. Now you're out, now you, need, now you need leather. Go make it yourself. Go pay for it yourself. Figure it out yourself. No. You have a need. And he, and he dressed them. What does that mean? He didn't just drop it down for them. Say, go, go, go figure out how to put your pants on. <coughs> but he was like in a hush of a store where they say, sir, put your hand in, and the other hand in, and zip it up. He dressed them. Zotir Rebbeinu Bachaya, this whole Pasuk is extra. Why does it say this in the Torah? And he answers, because Hashem understood that if He didn't give them what they need, then they would never believe that Hashem still loved them. And Hashem did this for one purpose only, to prove to them that I still love you. I know that you have a need. I'm going to be the one to fulfill that need. And therefore you will know and believe that I love you. This is unbelievable. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? The lesson is you told your kids all the, all the things that they were doing wrong. Don't hang out with this guy, that guy. You study harder. Don't get thrown out of yeshiva. Don't be a chutzpah You told them everything. And they didn't listen to you. And there are consequences. And maybe even chas v'shalom, worse, terrible consequences, whatever they are. Hopefully they're oiskahalten, they're really, really oiskahalten. But now they are in a situation... We have to be like Hashem. Mahu rachum, avata rachum. 
The Siva Shalom says, it doesn't say Mahu Rachum, so you should also act with Rachmanus. No, that's not enough. Mahu Rachum, just like Hashem is a Rachum. Af'ata, you too have Rachum. Be a Rachum. We have to look at Hashem's ways, and that's what has to be our attitude. Not that I hate that kid, but I'll go do something nice for him because I read it in the Sefer, I heard it in the Shmuz, that that's what Hashem did. No, you have to get it. Internalize what Hashem does and become that. Your child, maybe there are consequences to his actions. But now your job is that if you don't show him that you love him, he will go on to think, my parents don't love me. And that's what they do. And we'll explain why soon. But they think you don't love them. Your job, it was Hashem's job. Not you stupid kid, blah, 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 blah. Now, so now he thinks I don't love him. It's his problem, I really do love him. No, your job as a parent, your job is to prove to them I love you. And the only way to do that is not to say I love you. It's not what Hashem did. The only way to do that is to find something that they need and be the one to provide it for them. Be the one to buy him that thing that he needs. Not the thing that you wish that he needed. Not the thing that your other kids need. Not the thing that you need or that you want him to need. The thing that he needs. Even the thing that only came about because he didn't listen to your advice, your good advice, your good parenting. He didn't listen to it, and now he has terrible needs. You be the one to fulfill those needs, because you have to prove to that child that you love him. It's not enough to say, I did mine. It depends on the recipient. He has to know, she has to know and believe, my parents love me. And guess what? I believe that the time that these kids do their worst averus, and get into the next level of drug abuse and whatever, is after they have a fight with their parents and they feel, my parents hate me. That's what takes them to the next level. And we as parents can have no part in that. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is right. It means don't push them to the next level. And when they feel so empty, if they go on the next level on their own, you know, okay, you, it wasn't on your shoulders. You have to deal with that. But don't be the one to push them to the next level. Remember this. The fuel of their rebellion, of their vehicle of rebellion, the fuel is that they think you don't like them. It's hatred. They think you hate them. That's what it is. That fuels their rebellion. Don't be a part of it. I have to say something so so sad and so difficult to hear and to say. I was talking to parents about their child, and this was a, an extremely different case of a child who grew up in really really top yeshivas, and went so far off the derech that he shmad, he became Christian, and he was really far gone. And I was, the child was, was trying to put his life together, which is incredible. And I realized that he's not, he doesn't feel that his parents love him. Now, we're going to talk about that. Parents, we do have un- unconditional love to our kids, but they don't know that. Why don't they know that? Because Hashem in the Bria created something called unconditional love from parent to child. But He did not create it from child to parent. The Gemara talks about all different situations. All the Svarim talk about it. The bottom line is this is the truth. Unconditional love. A parent can have a child that wants to kill him and he will not kill that child. But the opposite is not true. The Gemara says that if the child thinks that his father is trying to kill him, he will kill his father. Unconditional love is only from parents to children, and children don't know that such a thing exists. 
Because until they have their own children, it does not exist in their world. So they don't know that you love them unconditionally, and even though you went through so much tzaris that if they got shot, that you're going to cry, and that if they needed a kidney, that their father, who they had the worst fights with in the world, and, and threw him out of the house, that the father would come running with a kidney. They don't know that. They don't believe that. Like us parents that understand unconditional love. It's from parent to child, and it's in the Bria, and it's even by animals. It's not just by humans. It's part of the Bria. So now we have children that don't understand that their parents love them. And I was dealing with this father, who was more of a difficult situation in this case than the mother. Many times I find it's the fathers that really we get cold and and we just lose, we, we can't deal. Mothers somehow mostly seem to stay emotionally connected to the child. They're able to hug them and say, I love you. And the fathers, even though we love our kids, even though we love these kids, but we can't, we get so cold and we get so disconnected and we're unable to say I love you and we're un- unable to hug them many times I told the father very harsh words I said I think that your, that your son feels that if God forbid he got hit by a truck that instead of saying Baruch Dayanemes you would say Baruch Shepetrani thank God it's over thank God I'm putter from this kid and the father of course started crying and he said it's true it's true. He said, I would probably say that. I know afterwards I, I would regret it, and I know long term I would feel Baruch Dynamis and I would be sad without him. But my initial reaction would be, thank God this, this nightmare is over. I was talking to another father about his relationship with his child, and I told him the same thing, and I said, my feeling is that your son probably thinks that if he got hit by a truck, that you, instead of saying Baruch Dynamis, you would say Baruch Shepetrani. And the father looked at me and started crying, and he said to me, it's true. Not only is it true that he feels that way, but I actually said it. And then he added, not only did I say it, but when I told it to somebody, my son heard me. So the child heard his father say that. It was so not true, because the father turned around, learned how to deal with the child, loves his kid like crazy, the father understood that the reason why he's in so much pain that he could even feel that is only because he loves him unconditionally. Because if he didn't love him so much, why would, he, why would he be so angry? If you have a nephew or a cousin or a kid down the block who's doing the same thing as your child, no, no. You, you, put a, you tap him on the shoulder, you grab him, let's go out for pizza, you make care of him, you know everything what to say, you don't take him personally. But your own kid, you feel like, I hope he's got hit by a truck. I, I wish it's over. Why? Because you're in so much pain. But why are you in so much pain? Because you love him so much. That's the proof of the unconditional love. But the kids don't know that. And the kids need to feel loved. It's your job to prove to them that you love them. And the only way is by showing that you accept them for who they are and buying them something, even if it's a leather jacket, Vayabishem, Kamashefala, Kamtatala. I'm buying you jeans. I want you, I'm going to come. Uh, no, I'm not just, here's money for it. That's not enough. Come, I'm taking you. You have a need. I am going to be the one to fulfill your need. I want to buy you that. Because the feeling that a child has when his parents buy him something great that he, know, that he wants is huge. Think about your other children. They want a, a, a game and you buy him that game. Thank you, Tati. This child needs that same thing, but he can only feel that for things that he needs. So unfortunately, for your son, it's a necklace, and for your daughter, it's, a, it's pants. Unfortunately. But the bottom line is... Take their need that they have. 
They need to have that feeling of love and thank you so much. And you have to provide it for them. That's the only thing that starts to heal their hole in their heart. The message is, don't fuel their rebellion. If they think and they don't believe that you love them, you're adding to the rebellion, you're adding to their pain, and you cannot afford to be on that side. You must show them that you love them. You must go down to their level and buy them what they like, what they need. It sounds crazy. It sounds nuts. I'm going to buy my son a bracelet. I'm going to buy my son a necklace. But I want to tell you something. There is nothing more powerful than when a really from person buys their child something that they're really against and shows the child, I get you, I know you want this, I'm buying this for you. We're not doing things because we hold that a child should wear a necklace, a boy. We don't want the girl to wear jeans and not sneeze a clothing. We're dealing with a situation where the child is a chayli nefesh, the child is sick. Do you want to help them? If the doctor says your child needs insulin shots, you give them the insulin shots. God forbid a child has cancer. You give them chemotherapy. Even though chemo would kill a healthy child, you would never give it to your other children. You would never give it to this child. But if the doctor says your child Nabuch has cancer, chas v'shalom, you give the child chemo. You machal Shabbos for that child. You do whatever it takes to get that kid back. And if what it takes is things that are so against what you would normally do in Chinuch, this is not Chinuch. This doesn't reflect anything on you. Everybody knows that when you go to the people who understand these children, they're constantly telling their fathers, take your kid to a movie, take your kid to a ball game. Even if the father is learning in Kailo for a hundred years, even if the father is a big Rosh Hashiva, do whatever you can. Why? Why? Because we understand that the tikkun over here, the tikkun, think reverse psychology, think of the car wired backwards, think about being on the side that you want to get your kid out of this mess, and the only thing that works is this, doing ridiculous things for the child, because they're sick, and because this is what works, and because you don't have a downside doing this. There is no downside in showing your child that I love you, and I care for you, Hashem said, I love you. Hashem said, My firstborn, a Lashon of Chiba. Where were we when Hashem said that? We were in Mitzrayim, in Erva Sa'aretz. We were in the Mem Teshari Tumah. We were bowing down to idols. There's nothing worse that a Yid can do than to go bow down to an idol and spit in Hashem's face and say, I believe in the idol. Not you, Hashem. You don't create the world. You don't run the world. My parnasah is going to come from the idol. There's nothing worse you can do. And Hashem says, Amem Teshari Toma, I love you. Hashem took us through Kriyas Yamsuf. Amazing miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf. And you know what some Jews were doing while they were walking through this amazing miracle? They walked across with their idols. Hashem could have said, guys... He could have said, guys, look, I'm willing to do something for you. Look at this Yamsuf. You see, open, closed, open, closed, split, split back, split back. Hey, if you're interested, drop the idols. But he never did that. He said, you're going to die, I'm going to save you. I am going to be the one to save you. And he split the Yamsuf, even though they did not drop their idols. And they walked across the Yamsuf with Pesel Micha. And when did they break it? So it says that after... The Mitzrayim died. 
and the Yamsuf killed the Mitzrim, the Mitzrim, that's when they really understood that they're free from the bonds of slavery. The Sipurna says, Ad Eis Maison, until the Mitzrim died, Hoyu Ke'avadim Barchim, they were slaves on the run. Yes, Hashem freed them from Mitzrayim, but they were being pursued by this all-powerful master. And they were so tzimished from that, being pursued by that, that they were still avadim barchim. They couldn't give up on that, on that security blanket, on those drugs, on the pestle micha. They couldn't let go of it, even though they were already rescued, even though they already saw the Yad Hashem, even though they saw open miracles, makas b'chayris. And even though when they saw Kriyas Yamsuf, they didn't drop the idols, they didn't drop the mishagas until the Mitzrim were dead, the addiction was gone, the guy who molested them was put in jail, was locked away, where they were able to get past it. So let's understand, these kids, even while we're doing everything for them, like Kriyas Yamsuf, like Hashem did for us, even while we're doing everything for them, they rebel against us. A parent said, I don't understand, I went to bail him out of jail. He couldn't put on a yarmulke? He had to go ahead and talk nasty to me? Isn't that what we did to Hashem? And yet Hashem said, Why? Because that's what we needed to hear. B'ni Bechari Yisrael, I love you. My Bechar, I love you. I would die for you. If that's all you do for your child, and you tell the kid every single day, I just want you to know, I would die for you. You're not going to have the same situations going forward. You just won't. And there's no other chinuch speech that you could say. There's no rebuke that you could say. There's nothing else that you could say that will have that effect. He can come in smoking on Friday night on Shabbos. You tell him, I just want you to know, I love you. I would die for you. When he believes that, you will help him. A father told me, he said, I finally, after so many months of struggling, I finally realized this is my child's struggle. This is his journey. I'm not here to make it worse. I'm here to say I support you and I love you no matter what because that is what he needs to hear. That is what he needs to hear. That's what I'm going to do but I'm not going to do anything else because I can't save him from his pain, from his trauma. I can only make it worse. Most of the time, parents, you cannot save your child. You can only make it worse. A father told me that that day I happened to speak to him and he said, that's it, I'm throwing my child out. The child did something, Mamish, the father couldn't tolerate. The father was a very chash of a tzaddik, a tamud chachum, would go around giving shurim and the son left out condoms in the, in the house and, and, and razors that he was shaving with a razor instead of a shaver. And, and it, was Shabbos, it was too much and the father said, I can't, I'm throwing him out of the house. And I asked him, I said, I understand that you can't tolerate this. I understand but let's understand something. If you throw him out, he's going to do more Averis. So it's not in front of you. In your mind, when you go to sleep at night, are you going to be able to sleep knowing that he's doing more Averis? If these Averis killed you, more Averis is going to kill you more. And knowing that he's doing more Averis because of you is going to make it even worse. He didn't throw his kid out. He said, you're right. I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying you don't want to throw your kid out. I'm saying it doesn't help. It doesn't make the kid do less Averis. I can't look at it. I can't stomach it. Okay, so if you don't look at it and he does more, can you stomach that? So those things don't work. What does work? The power of love. I want to tell you a story, and I'm not at liberty to say who it was, but trust me on every single word. I had a boy that I was working with who was about 22, 23 years old. 
He was about six foot three, really strong, built. He ended up afterwards going to the Israeli army to Nacha Haredi, just to show you that you know how tough he was. And I took him two days before Rosh Hashanah to go speak to his grandfather. His grandfather is a major Rosh Hashiva, major tzaddik with a major following. And I set up the, the meeting that he should go ahead and he should speak to his Zaidi. And on the way there in the car, he says, you know, I really respect my Zaidi and I respect my Bubby. I just, you know, they never ever hug me. You know, like my Bubby will give me like a wave across the counter. And then he starts saying, you know, my father never hugs me. My, my, my family never hugs me. My mother never hugs me. Nobody hugs me. And I'm looking at this kid who's like 22, 23 years old. He's not 15. And he's built like an army guy. And he's talking about hugs and hugs 15, 20 minutes. And I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't believe it. This guy was not, not from already for eight years. Basically, since his bar mitzvah, he was basically never from, even though he grew up in a tremendous Hasidic location. And when I got there to the house, I left them, I left him with his Zaidi and his Bubby. And then I came back an hour later to pick him up. And I called the Zaidi over. And this, this is an old, frail man. I said, a bengtzich for a hug. He's, he's dying for a hug. And right then, the kid was right behind him. I only had a second. I said it, and I walked, I walked away. And then from the corner of my eye, I saw him quickly. And this is the Adam Chosh of Ma'id. He turned around, and he, took, he started raising his hands closer, like trying to... <laughs> he was a frail old man, short man. He's trying to... And his grandson is huge. He doesn't know what he wants from him. He's like, Do I have something on my ear? He's reaching up for him. He couldn't figure it out. Finally, he reached up. He pulled him down. He gave him a hug, and he gave him a kiss on his cheek. The guy gets in the car. I made believe like I didn't know anything, and he's, he's freaked out. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, what? He goes, my Zaidi. He hugged me. He kissed me. I said, really? I thought you said he never does that. He goes, I, he never did. I don't know, I don't know what's pshat. We were driving for ten minutes. And in that ten minutes, he was quiet, in shock. And then he turned to me, and he says, he says, Avi, what do you think? Maybe I should start keeping Shabbos. And he kept Rosh Hashanah, two days. And he kept Shabbos Shuvah. And he kept him Kippur, he fasted for the first time since his Bar Mitzvah. And he kept Shabbos, and then he kept the first days of Sukkot, and then he kept Shabbos Cholamoid, and then he kept Simchas Teirah Shemini Atzeres Simchas He kept a month of Shabbos in Yontif because of the hug that he got from his Zaydi. There's no Musa in the world that his Zaydi could have told him that would have had that effect. Because these kids, they know what to do. They can't do it. These kids, they want to be good. They can't. Because they have a hole in their heart. They're kids in pain. And the only thing you can do is hug them. A friend of mine had a child, Nebuch, was living with a shiksa. Why did he leave the shiksa? Because the father paid the rent and loved him through this. And after a month, he said, I can't do this anymore. And he had enough kayak to say goodbye and to push the Nisayin away. It was a very difficult Nisayin. He left her because of love. A friend of mine was walking home on Friday night. He told me the story. And this is before his friends and his people in his community knew that his child was Mechal Shabbos. He left Friday night from shul walking with about ten people. 
He was wearing a strimal and a bekasha, and all of a sudden, turning the corner, his minivan, with his son driving, with a bunch of boys and girls from local from the community in the car, smoking. And the son sees him and pulls over. And my friend, his heart is pounding. He has a great relationship with his son. He knows what to do, but this is so much, so hard. In front of all these people, their eyes are popping out of their, out of their sockets. And he goes over to the car. Hey, how you doing? How's everything? And his heart is pounding. He thought he's going to plots. How are you? Oh, what's your name? Khani, Moishi. Oh, Avrumi. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're, the, you're that one. Grossman. Oh, Grossman. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, fine. Okay, guys. Listen, drive carefully. Be careful. I love you. I'll see you later. And he waves, tapping his, his son, you know, like, like you would if, you, if the kid was going to yeshiva. Tapping him on the arm. Take care. Be well. Love you. See you later. This, this father went through a process. His son did everything wrong. His son was being Michal Shabbos Pefrahesia. And he decided, I'm not going to lose this kid. And what he did to prove his love for his child, you cannot imagine, to prove to his child how much he loves him. You can't imagine what his father tolerated. He said, I want my son living at home. He's not going to live anywhere else. And he made for him, he tells me, I made for him three simple rules just to make it. You have ten other kids at home made three simple rules, which he immediately, right away, knocked out. You know, so like the kids knock, knocks out the rules. In other words, okay, so now what? Now you're going to throw me out on the street? They're always testing until the end, until the scythe. And, and he still said, no, no, no. I have made those rules because it's easier for us, but uh, even if you don't do those rules, I want you here. By a Shabbos table, the kid would come and sit in his, in his wife beater, in his undershirt, and everyone would say, what about the other kids? And we'll talk about that at a different time. But he says, my other kids will learn that I love my son, my children, unconditionally. And they did. His other children, Mamish, are, are incredible top boys. Mamish, Iluyim, and great, great kids. And this child needed more. He lived in the basement, and he had a, a six-foot snake as a pet. The parents tolerated it. Anything, but we're not losing this child. Father told me that originally, when the kid was still in the Chesidish Yeshiva, and he was a young boy, the father went ahead, and his, this is his oldest kid, and he came home and he caught his kid with a, 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 um, with a, wrestling, a wrestling magazine. And of course, in a wrestling magazine, besides for being bad, it also has Nazniistika pictures in it. And he says, listen, I, I did the whole thing. I did the whole show. I did it perfectly. Feh, Timur, I'm burning it. He said, I did everything. I punished him. You're not gonna, you know, he, he killed the kid over it. He said, I, I was mechanic the right way. But once I realized the kid Mechal Shabbos and, he, and he's losing his child, he said, now my job is to show the kid I love you no matter what. And I have to hang on and do that until he finishes his journey. And this is what he told me, very starker words. He says, today, if my child told me that he wanted to do the biggest Avera, I want to be the one to pay for it. Let him know that it came from me. This is, of course, very extreme. This is, of course, very, very extreme. I don't even know if you're allowed to. I'm showing you a father that said, I'm not going to lose my kid. He got the message. I have to hang on and do anything that I can to show the kid I love you. If Hashem can make leather garments for us, what a loss. What a destruction that we did. We ruined Hashem's whole world. We ruined everything. We are thrown out of Gan Eden. We brought death to the world. We brought destruction to the world. How much pain in the world is all because of this chet? And yet Hashem says, you have a need. Oh, let me get you. Not just clothing, but leather garments. I have to show you that I love you. I have to prove to you that I love you. 
This is a father that understood that. I'm not saying it's Eiskalten. Don't go doing these things. I'm saying get the point. The point is Zichar Eiskalten. There are parents that, that, that not, that will, will do this to the end. The parent told me that he smokes up with his child. Because he says, I can't do it all the time. I'm not a drug addict. But his kid was being sketchy going out. He said, you know what? Shefalu, let's go outside. Show me, show me what this is all about. He smoked up with him. And he coughed his brains out. And he said, man, I don't know how you, how you like this. Woo, getting a headache. Shoo. All right, you enjoy yourself. And normal parenting would say, what are you talking about? He should know it's us, sir. He should know you're against it. The children know you're against it. You have to show the kid, I love you. I respect you. I'm not going to go ahead and, and push you out of my life. We're playing for keeps. We're playing for keeps. Children are dying from overdosing. We need to make sure that these kids don't feel forlorn. Don't feel like they have nothing. Don't feel like their father, their mother, looks down at them and hates them and wishes that they'd be finished with them already. That's the only thing we can do. I spoke to a woman in Williamsburg. She's living in Williamsburg. Her son is living at home. The kid was 16 years old. He was chesidish, mamish chesidish. He went over to some friend. I guess he was struggling. He went Christmas night to his friend who had a television. He saw a mass and it, it turned him on. And he went and he became loyalenu hishmad. He became Christian. He goes around, he wears a cross. He lives at home in Williamsburg. He has on, I met the kid, he has on his, on his shoulder, on his arm, a huge New York Yankees tattoo in color <laughs> I met the kid he looks mamish like, like a guy he doesn't have any he didn't look Yiddish at all his mother said ah, he's my child he sleeps at home she lights a candle every day for his neshama he says mommy you're lighting a candle for my neshama I know that you still have hope for me no matter what no matter what I've done unbelievable what parents are doing to save their children. The parents who understand that the other way doesn't work. We have to save our children. Let me tell you the story of a boy that I was working with. And the, I, and the, the it, typical story where the boy really felt that his parents don't like him, his parents don't love him, his parents are embarrassed of him. And, and it was true. It's true. And I convinced the father, I said, this is what you have to do. This is the tikkun that you have to do. The father never allowed friends of his to see his child. When his child came back from a rehab, he made his child go 12 o'clock at night, run into the house from the car, and he made him put something over his head. Put the sweatshirt over the hood, the hood over your head, and run up the stairs, nobody should see. Okay, we're not judging anybody. It's very painful for this family, for any family. They didn't know how to deal with it. And, and in their community, it's a very small community, they couldn't deal with the shame. And that was actually, it pushed the child even further, unfortunately, to do all the terrible things that he did. It certainly didn't help. And I convinced the father, I said, this is what you have to do. The father made a birthday party for this child. And the father invited the five neighbors and, and family members who he always was most scared that would see his child. And at the birthday party, I said, you're going to buy your child, you don't have to buy him an expensive gift. Buy him a necklace. And on the necklace, engrave, my tati loves me. And you're going to give this necklace to your child. 
The father looked at me like I'm crazy. But you know what? The kid already was so far gone. You can't imagine how far gone this kid was. Every Aver in the world, totally separated from everything. And I'm telling him, this is what you have to do to save your child. So he says, okay. Came to the birthday party. I was there. A lot of people were there. We made a huge party for him. Father invited Taka, the most difficult people. I give him so much credit. All the people that he was most embarrassed of, just, that's it. Don't, don't hold back. Don't have everybody except for one guy. Everybody. Everybody. Show him. That's it. I'm not embarrassed of you anymore. And he, and he gave him, and he said to everybody, this is my son, and he hugged him. And he was repairing, minute by minute, he was repairing years of damage of, the, of this kid's pain in his heart. And then he went ahead and he gave his child a five, six hundred dollar watch, a beautiful watch. And then he didn't have a necklace, he couldn't find the necklace, so he just made a head out of a little string and those beads he put together for a dollar twenty-nine, what did it cost him? Nothing, a few cents. My Tati loves me. And he said, I wanted to give you a necklace, a silver necklace that says this, engraved, but I couldn't find it, so I gave you this. It was a beautiful night, a beautiful, beautiful night. We got in the car, I was driving the kid home, he's in the back seat, and he's in complete and total shock, as never before. I can't believe my father gave me a necklace. He didn't talk about anything else. He didn't talk about the, the beautiful watch, the five, six hundred dollar watch, and it could have been a hundred thousand dollar watch. That's, that's giving your child what you would like him to appreciate, what you want to give him what you wish he really cared about. And even if the son liked the watch, it didn't mean that I get you and I love you and I hear you. This fashtinkina bead, beads on a, on a little stringy thing. My father gave me a necklace. He accepts me for who I am. The kid made a huge turnaround in his life from that day. He goes home for Shabbosim. He shows his parents respect. And he's striving and committed to trying to become a normal Erlichayid, a member of society, because of that necklace. So yes, I tell parents, look for the thing your kid needs now, and get, get there and buy it for him. Let the kid, you know, for many reasons, first of all, when he goes in the street and he's wearing a necklace, and his, his, his girlfriend says, hey, where'd you get that from? Or his cool friends, where'd you get that from? And he says, my, my father gave it to me. You know, it, that's really not fun. You take the whole fun out of the rebellion. And second of all, it shows that you love him, that you care for him. In his crazy, messed up world, he's going to think that you care for him. And you don't have, you buying him a Rambam is not going to work. Even neutral things don't work as much as saying, I get you. I want you to have what you need. I'm on your side. I accept you. It does so much. I was speaking to parents and I said, listen, I, I advise even taking a risk. Go to the level that he's not there yet. Because your kid's not wearing jeans yet. Go, go buy him jeans. Push him to the next level. Why? Because I have a yisoid. And my yisoid is that you cannot corrupt your children. If you go to your children and you say, here's a necklace, and he's not ready to, to wear a necklace, he's going to say, what are you, crazy? If you go to your child and you say, yeah, I bought you jeans, and he, he doesn't want to wear jeans, he's going to say, what are you, crazy? What are you, nuts? You cannot corrupt your kids. So try to get to the next le level right before or as quick as possible, as soon as he's there. Because you want to have maximum effect of saying, I accept you, so he doesn't go further and further and further. And that's going to bounce him back by getting all the way down and accepting him on the lowest level. You're going to win him back, and we're going to talk about this soon, and I think you're going to like the pshat Mata and Makal. Unconditional love.
You know, it's a very interesting thing. Yaakov Avinu is known to be the Bechir Sheba Avas. The chosen out of all the Avas. Out of Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, Yaakov is the chosen one. But I have a kasha. Avram created a Yitzchak who was an Av, equal in stature. Yitzchak, through his life, created Yaakov who was an Av. But it's very interesting. Yaakov Avinu did not produce any Av. He produced Taldus. He produced the Shvatim, the Shifte So how could Yaakov's way, how could Yaakov's life be the Bechir Sheba Avos? And maybe the Pshat is that it's true that Avram created a Yitzchak, but he also created a Yishmael. Yitzchak created a Yaakov, but he also created an Esav. Yaakov's path, Yaakov's derech, der, Yaakov's derech was for everyone. Yaakov created Klal Yisrael. Yaakov took each child and said, you can work, and you can learn, and everybody has this tafkid. And we see that that's the Bechir. That's the chosen path that Hashem's Ratzon is. Not for the parents to produce only Rosh Hashivas, only those who could be on the highest level, as long as there are other children that are not making it. That's not the Bechir. That's not the chosen path. The Ratzon Hashem is to create a path, to create an environment where everybody could steig. And yes, it's better to have 12 kids who get 80s than to have some with Tzuyonim and some that are failing. And that's part of what... I'm not here to give educational speeches and schmoozing and lowering the standard and all of that. But when we have a situation at home where you have to dig down and save your kids, that's what you have to do. Shiftei Ka is Edus Yisrael. The proof... That, that, that Yaakov Avinu's way was the right way, was from the Shifteka, how they turned out. So the Yisoyed is, every child must feel that he has a place in Yiddishkeit. And of course, when we're raising our regular, normal, happy kids, we have to allow for that. We have to allow every child to bring something to the table. I always tell my children, you have to participate. You could sing, you could harmonize, you can bang. I allow, I allow them to drum. You could do bongos. You could do the, the brass ba, 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 in the middle. I don't care. Everybody try to participate. And together we create a choir. Together we create an orchestra. Every child has to feel that he has a place at your Shabbos table. Every child has to feel that he has a place in your home. And most of all, in your heart. And that means that the more difficult it is, you still have that job to create an environment that your child can be comfortable at home and in your heart. And the more difficult it is, and the more rebellious it is, the more difficult it is for you to do this and to achieve this, but it's still your job. Because when he feels that he does not have a place in your home, that he does not have a place in Yiddishkeit, even with a messed up, crazy, piamenta yamaka, and if he feels, God forbid, that he doesn't have a place in your heart, you'll lose him. So, yeah, sure, it's great to say that if everybody wears a hat and jacket at the Shabbos table, everyone has a place. And it's a little bit difficult, but you have to also say that even if a child really feels uncomfortable wearing his hat, that he still has a place. And, and it's difficult, but you know what? Even the child who doesn't wear a jacket at the Shabbos table, he should also still feel that he has a place. But you know how far it goes? The child who doesn't want to wear a shirt. So he shouldn't feel that he's, that he's welcome at your Shabbos table? Where, where's he going to go? What Shabbos table will he become a part of? Even a child that doesn't wear his pants needs to know that he has a place at your Shabbos table. 
that he has a place in your home, that he has a place in your heart. And guess what? When they really believe it after they finish the, the, the horrific testing process, and they really believe it, they, they respect you, and they don't test you as much. So many tests that the parents are going through, so many matzavim situations of rebellious children who are out to kill the parents, are because the parents didn't do this l'chathila. And as soon as you turn around, you'll see in a short period of time, when you boost up who they are, all of a sudden they're not going to test you that time with that crazy test. It says in the Torah that the Miraglim went to seek out Eretz Yisrael. The Pasuk says, We were in our own eyes like grasshoppers. And so we were in their eyes. And the famous Vart that everybody knows, that when you think in your own eyes that you're small, then Taka, that's the way other people look at you. When you feel small, other people Taka look at you like you're small. Zak Tebchaim Kanievsky in Derech Sicha, that the opposite is also true. That when you can look at somebody and say, you are big, deepest grace, you have potential, then they will in their own eyes look at themselves like they're big. He says, that's how Rebbe Kiva became Rebbe Kiva. He would have gone through his whole life thinking, Ich bin agarnished. But the daughter of Kabbalah Savua said, I have faith in you. You have potential. You can be somebody. And that's what made him. So just like when we think that we're small in our own eyes, that causes other people to look down on us, so too when other people think that we are huge, that causes us to feel that we, we are huge. Maybe, maybe we can make it. Maybe I can be something someday. Talk about boosting somebody's self-esteem. Famous saying goes, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Stop telling your kids all these different nice things that you know. Your job is to make sure that they know how much you care. And as difficult as it is, understand, this is a challenge to my job of showing them how much I care. I find that a very good approach with kids who are being so difficult is, step number one is you tell them, you look like you need a hug. I found another better approach. I say, can I give you a hug? This is especially difficult with with boys. But it brings out the mushiness in them. But then I found a higher level. When it's difficult, when the times are hard, you look at your kid and you say, you know, I really need a hug. There's nothing that breaks down walls like that. 